That's what we call a bumper video. Something, and we're not we're not really able to do that outside because this, this you're just not able to see really video very clearly on screen. So, one of the things we are excited about being inside today is to be able to show that video. <laughs> Darn it, Nicole! Oh, here we go. Let's do it. Thank you, thank you. That was it. No, who? Hey, hey. No, that's that's very cool. We love uh, we love bumper videos here at Charter Road Church. We love Lego here at Charter Road Church. Anybody else a Lego fan? Yay. We're all kids. We're all kids. We're talking about family today. Hey, by the way, it's Grandparents Day. Anybody that forgot about that, you don't have to sell it. Just remember, call your grandparents today, guys. On this Grandparents Day, we are starting a, a series about uh, family. It's a four-week series. Um, you are a part of a family. <laughs> you, are, you are somebody's child. You really are. Maybe you have children yourself. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're married. Maybe you're divorced. We are talking about family over the next four weeks. You are absolutely, you are absolutely a part of a church family. And we're going to talk about that too. It is so important that we, in some venue, talk about the importance of family, whether it's biological or whether it's church family, because where else are we talking about family? Anywhere? Are we talking about family everywhere? Do we talk about family in our media, in our pop culture? Are we raising up? The idea of family in our popular culture? How does our popular culture treat the idea of, let's just say, biological family? Are they kind to it? The television shows you watch, are they kind to the nuclear family? Not really, I don't think. The Sopranos, maybe, but that's not the family we're talking about today. We're really not. That was the last television show that really stressed the importance of family, and it's not the family we're going for. No, our popular culture makes fun of family. You know they do. How, how about church family? Is our popular culture really kind to church family? No, no. We have got to stress the importance of family somewhere because what are the results of not holding up family? What are the results of that? You feel it. You are probably the result of a broken home. And I, I don't say that to make anybody feel bad. It's not an indictment on your parents or on yourself if you are divorced, not at all. But we can all agree it's not the ideal. It's not the ideal. How about church family? Sunday worship participation is the lowest it has ever been in the history of our country. That's not to make anybody feel bad, but we do not prioritize the importance of this. We don't prioritize, even Christians have trouble prioritizing the importance of gathering together at least once a week to gather together as a church family. And I don't know what's going to happen just in our culture if we, start, if we don't start prioritizing family. I don't know where we're headed. But the good news is we can do something about it. 
we can do something about it. The first thing we can do is turn to God's word and find out what God has to say about family. So over the next four weeks, we are going to look at a man named Joshua. Joshua is an Old Testament figure, lived about 3,600 years ago. Joshua is all about family, both his biological family and the family of God. He is the one who, who famously said, if you don't know Joshua, he said, I don't know what the rest of you are doing, but as for me and my family, we are going to serve God. That just summarizes what Joshua was all about. And so to study this man, Joshua, we are going to study the biblical book of Joshua, and in particular, the 24th chapter. We're going to take four weeks, study one chapter, Joshua chapter 24. If you don't know where the book of Joshua is in the Bible, it is the sixth book of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament, sixth book in the Bible. Now, quick background on Joshua. If you don't know him, Joshua was the leader of Israel. He was a leader of Israel. He took over for Moses, and Joshua was actually the one who, who led the Israelite people into the promised land. Joshua got them right up to the promised land. Joshua led them across the goal line. And in this chapter 24 of the book of Joshua, Joshua is 110 years old. Dude's 110 years old, leading a nation. Now, this is not a political statement at all. We look at uh, President Biden, and we say, dude's old, right? He's an old, like, is he too old to be? We don't, we don't know, but he's not 110 years old. Can you imagine being 110 years old and being responsible for your entire nation? That is old. I was made to feel old this week. This is no joke. I'm not making this up. I am only 41 years old. I got my first email communication for AARP. <laughs> I'm not making that up. I didn't make that up for a sermon illustration. I'm 41 years old. They had the gall to send me an email asking me at 41 if I want to be a member of the, I don't even know what it stands for. I don't, don't shout it out. I don't want to know. All I know is I'm not eligible for ARP. But that made me feel like I was 110 years old. Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Is it really that time in life? Oh, better move to Florida now. 110 years old this dude was. He's at the end of his life here in chapter 24 of the book of Joshua. Dude has seen a lot. He's experienced a lot. He's accomplished a lot through the glory of God. He's accomplished a lot. So now, here in Joshua chapter 24, he's going to gather all of the other leaders of Israel together for one farewell speech, for one farewell message. Verse 1 of chapter 24 says this, Then Joshua assembled all of the tribes of Israel at Shechem, he summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God at Shechem. This place called Shechem. Now, I, I love context when I'm reading the Bible, and Shechem is, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a real place, but it still exists. Shechem does not exist as a modern city, necessarily, uh, but it is a, an archaeological site. And so the historic site of Shechem 
is about an hour northeast of modern-day Tel Aviv. That's where we are. We, we are in modern-day Israel here at Shechem. And when you're studying Scripture, what you've got to understand about Scripture is it's all connected. And here in the sixth book of the Bible, this is not the first time we have seen this place, Shechem. For that, we have to turn back five books and 600 years to Genesis chapter 12 where it says this, Abram, later Abraham, traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there. He built an altar there, probably made of rocks, much like the ones you're holding on to now. Hold on to that thought. He built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, what this is, is where the history of the Israelite people begins. This is the beginning of the entire history of the Israelite people. So Abram or Abraham is in what we now know as the Holy Land, or Israel, or at first, Shechem. And this was the land that God promised to the people. So it's also called the Promised Land. And now 600 years later, when God fulfilled that promise that he made to the Israelites so long ago, now Joshua is in a position where he is living in the, the Holy Land. The people have settled in that land that God promised to them, and he is going to gather all the leaders together to remember. So the people of Israel are going to gather together to remember. Verse 2 says this, Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord the God of Israel says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, and what I'm about to read now is going to switch into the first person because this is going to be God speaking. Not Joshua, but God. Here's what God said. I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave Abraham Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea, but they cried to the Lord for help. He put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, into the Holy Land. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, 
So also did the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and you eat from the vineyard and olive groves that you did not plant. Now I hope you stuck with me through all of that. That might have been a slightly long passage, but that covers 600 years of history. From Abraham to Joshua, 600 years of history. That was a relatively short history when you're considering 600 years. I hope you understand that what I just read isn't just a story from the Old Testament. That's the story of why you are here. Do you understand that? Can you put two and two together? That was the story of why you are here today. How did you come to the Lord? If you are indeed a Christian, and if you are not a Christian and you are here today, I am so glad you are here. If you are a Christian, how did you arrive in this place? Somebody passed their faith to you. Somebody passed their faith to them. Somebody passed their faith to them. All that was able to happen because, oh, in the 18th century, a man named John Wesley in England ordained two bishops to come over to frontier America and preach God's word over in this wilderness. That was only able to happen because in the 16th century, oh, we had Martin Luther in the Reformation. He reformed the church. That was only able to happen because countless missionaries went out from Jerusalem around about the year 33 AD because they saw a dead prophet come back to life. Jesus Christ came through the Israelite people into the Holy Land who was settled by Joshua, whose predecessor was Moses, whose predecessor was Joseph, whose predecessor was Jacob, whose predecessor was Isaac, whose predecessor was Abraham, who orchestrated all of that. Who did? I did, saying God. God did. God did. He orchestrated all of that. 13, I'm sorry, 21 times. 21 times in that passage we just read, God uses the first person singular. I did it. I did it. I did it. I did it. It's a reminder to never forget where our blessings come from. The reason you are here today is because God was gracious to Abraham. And God was gracious to Joshua. The reason you are here today is because God was gracious to a man named Martin Luther and John Wesley and to the, the, the persons or person who passed their faith along to you. It's all due to God and his grace towards us. Can you fathom the extraordinary series of events that led to you being here today? We're talking about 4,000 years of history. And every one of those people in that line from Abraham to you right now had to say yes to following God. Do you want to think about if one of those people said, no, thank you, I don't want to follow God. If one of them said that, would you and I be here today? The extraordinary series of events 
that led to you and I being here today. If you know it, say it with me. God is good all the time. time. Not just good, but perfect and gracious and extraordinary and beyond belief. He is. His grace is extraordinary. What does any of that have to do with family? (laughs) The connection from Abraham to you. The connection of God's family. What we are going to talk about over the next four weeks is building a grace-based family. And, and, and this is true. This applies to you, whether you are a family of one interacting with your church family or whether you are surrounded by biological family. What these 12 verses of Joshua chapter 24 teach us is this, first of all, we have got to remember, we've got to remember who we were, who we used to be. If we are going to accept God's grace, we have got to remember a time when we did not have or not accept God's grace. We have always had God's grace. Do you remember a time where you had not yet accepted God's grace. We've got to remember who we are. Verse 3 says this, But I took your father Abraham 600 years ago from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. If you don't know Abraham, father Abraham, the leader, the progenitor of the Israelite people, of the Jewish people, if you don't know Abraham, He was just a guy. He was just a guy who worshipped idols and false gods, just like everybody else did at that time. I don't even think Abraham knew about the one true God of the universe, which leads me to this point. Did Abraham go out seeking God? He did not. Who did the seeking? How did... Abraham find God. Abraham didn't do any looking himself. God did the looking. One of his names is Good Shepherd after all. So I've got to ask you, how did God find you? How did God find... I've got to make an assumption about you and your faith journey. You probably didn't go looking for God one day. I'm assuming... I'm assuming you weren't sitting down at your kitchen table one day living in sin and you said, you know what I've got to do today? I'm going to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of my life. I really want to serve God and I want to serve my neighbors even sacrificially to myself. So that's what I'm going to do today. Is that your faith story? Probably not. You didn't seek God out. God sought you out. But that's just what God does. Doesn't he? If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, are you aware how the Gospel of John starts? The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God seeks us out. God finds us, y'all. God comes running to us when we want to return to him, just like the story of the prodigal son My parents passed along their faith to me. That's how God came to me. God came to Abraham. 
God seeks us out. Romans chapter 5 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't wait till we're perfect to seek us out. So many people think that. There are so many people that we are trying to reach who won't join a church family because they think they have to be perfect first and then they can join a church family. If you are here today and you are hesitant to trust God with your life because you're not perfect, that's perfect. You, not only do you not have to be perfect, you're not perfect. Sometimes it's good to look in the mirror and say, you're not perfect. It's a huge weight off your shoulders. <laughs> Sometimes my, my spouse Aaron will come, my wife Aaron will come in and she'll look at me and I'm in the bathroom mirror. You're not perfect. And she'll think it's weird and she'll walk away. It's good. It's good to remind ourselves of that every so often. In fact, and this is serious, the foundation of a grace-based life, the foundation of a grace-based family is admitting that you are not perfect. And admitting that God is. God is perfect. God's timing, perfect. (laughs) I love verse 13. I love it. God says, I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. God... 3,600 years ago was talking about the holy land here. God is telling his people, I gave this to you. Now, from Abraham to Joshua, how many years are we talking? 600. Long time. God made a promise 600 years ago. And year one, they were waiting. And year two, and year five, and year 50, and year 500 And 364, they were still waiting for God to fulfill his promise. That's a long time. And somebody outside of our faith looks at a story like this and says, well, God fulfills his promise after 600 years. Maybe it's just coincidence. If you know the story of Abraham to Joshua... And if you don't know it, please read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. If you know that story, you will know that the God of the universe was with the Israelite people literally every step of the way on the way to fulfilling that promise. God released the people out of slavery. He led them through the desert. He produced food from the sky and water from rock. God split seas apart so his people could walk on dry land. God tore down the walls of Jericho. God gave the people everything they needed. I'm sorry, God gave his family everything everything they needed exactly when they needed it. 600 years, still a long time to wait. Are you waiting for something today? Are you waiting for, is your family waiting for something today? What you have got to understand, this is not just one story. This is the story of the Bible. 
God wants to give you everything you need exactly when you need it. God wants to do that for you. He wants, somebody needs to hear this today. God wants to give you exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. Be careful with this statement. What we didn't say is God will give you everything you want on your timeline. My daughter wants a unicorn. I'm not going to give that to her. If they, I, I'm just not going to do it. You know how dangerous unicorns are? They couldn't, she's a five-year-old girl. Look at him, paler. I'm not going to give her a unicorn. That's what she wants. But do I as a father give my daughter everything she needs exactly when she needs it? Yes, I do. God is a better father than I am. <laughs> and he will give his children, which means you, everything you need. He wants to give you everything you need exactly when you need it. And it will be perfect. So if you are waiting and it feels like you have been waiting 600 years, please don't forget what God has already done for you. Hold on to that rock. Hold on to that rock. Third and finally today, God is fighting for you. The God of the universe is fighting for you. Verse 11 says, Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you. It was an impregnable city. It wasn't just the people of Jericho. It was the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I gave them into your hands. The walls of Jericho fell down. Did the Israelites have ballista weaponry? Did they have dynamite? Somebody say no. What did they have? God. Better than TNT. G-O-D. Boy, was that corny. I'm sorry I said that. <laughs> Please forget that. Mitch, edit this out of the recording. The God of the universe took the walls of Jericho and literally ripped them down. I believe that's a historic fact. I don't think that's a euphemism. I think God ripped those walls down. As they were heading into the promised land, God tore the wars down. Let me ask again, what walls exist in your life? What walls have you come across in your life? Is it marital struggle? Is it financial struggle? Is it just directionlessness? Is it a health concern? What walls are in your way? Is there a wall between you and your church family? God allows us, and I love, the, I, I love just how blunt Scripture is. It doesn't hide anything. God allows us to come across the walls of Jericho. He does. He doesn't remove them from our future. He lets us come across them because we live in a fallen world. And of course you're going to come across walls. You don't think you will? God lets us come across those walls so we can be faithful to Him. And we can trust in Him. And when we trust in Him, God will rip down the walls of Jericho. He said, I gave it into your hands. He told the Israelites that. He tells us that too. God is fighting for you. If you are on God's side, God is on your side. Please believe that. God loves family. Biological family, and this is straight from the gospel, biological family speaks to God and his relational grace. God loves biological family. God especially loves church family. Because we are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ and there is nobody else that can do that. It's us and it's got to be us. So God loves family. Do you know who hates family? 
our enemy. Our enemy hates you with a passion. If you have a God-fearing biological family, he hates you and he will put every wall up. God hates this. He hates you being here today. He hates you praising God. And he will put every wall up in between you and your church family. Take a breath. If you are on God's side, he is on your side. He is fighting for you. His timing is perfect. Remember what God has done in your past. Anybody out there a fan of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing? We, we just sang that. That's one of my absolute favorite hymns. I tear up every time I hear it. I love that hymn. The second verse of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing says this. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home or the promised land. Now the words you just sang were, here I raise my Ebenezer. You sang that. That word came out of your mouth. You know what an Ebenezer is? Just an old-timey name. I think one of my grandfathers was named Ebenezer. I don't know. An Ebenezer is a rock. Literally, it's not, it's, not anything, it's not anything mystical or spiritual. An Ebenezer is a rock of remembrance. And if you are familiar with the Old Testament, you will know that Ebenezers were used all the time in the history of the Old Testament. Whenever the Israelite people saw God at work, they laid a rock on the ground. And they did that to remember that they saw a miracle in that place. You all have an Ebenezer. What I would really love to encourage you to do today is to take a Sharpie marker, go home, sit down either with yourself or your family, take that Sharpie and write on this rock, write right on this rock, do it with paint, whatever you have to do, make it permanent. Write a time where you saw God at work in your life. Write a time where you witnessed a miracle on this rock. I don't know what you're going to write on this rock. Maybe you went through a time of financial difficulty because you lost a job and you prayed and were faithful through that uncertain time and God gave you a new job when you weren't even expecting it. If that's you, write new job on your rock. Write the date. If you've seen a miraculous healing, write that on your rock. If you've seen a neighbor that you never thought would come to Jesus, come to Jesus, write that on your rock. If you're experiencing marital difficulty, maybe now, but you remember a time when you stood beside your husband or your wife and you committed to God to become one, write wedding day on your rock so you remember that time. Maybe you are here today and you are not yet a Christian, but something spoke to you today, right today's date on this rock. Why is it good to remember what God has done in the past? My friends, it's the most practical thing. This is for those dry times. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
It's those times where you don't feel God's presence. It's those times when you feel the weight of the world on you. It's those times where you do forget on this September 11th. This is so you don't forget. When you have your worst day, this is for you to look at and say, Oh my God, I remember. I remember. On my rock, I wrote Hutchison Elementary and the Greensburg-Salem Middle School. I wrote that, if you don't know, because we are in ministry in our local schools, and it was only by God's divine providence that we are able to do ministry in public school. And on my worst day, when I am feeling weary and weary of the work of just being a pastor, I can look at this rock and say, my God my rock and my savior, you are for me. Would you stand and sing with me?